All right, Erev Tov, good evening. We are finally back to our regular night kolal schedule. Tonight we'll be focusing on the Rambam, so that in the coming days we can get back into both the Rambam and the Shulchan Aruch. We are about to enter a whole new world of personalities. So until today, we spend most of our time focused on the Nevi'im. That's what we're going through the Kabbalat, the oral transmission. I went from Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was the Zekenim. The Zekenim took us all the way through the different prophets. Why aren't the Zekenim then mentioned the Nevi'im? Why do we not mention Nevi'im there? The simple answer why we don't mention Nevi'im is what we mentioned earlier that the Nevi'im did not receive the Torah Shabbat in the office of Navi, in the capacity of Navi. They received the Torah Shabbat because they were our leaders, they were our Chachamim. That which they were also Nevi'im, fine, but they don't rule Halachot according to Nevi'im. This is very different to the mentality that some people have today about Nevi'im and Chachamim. The next generation that we're about to enter is a generation of transition. It's one that I've spoken about at length in my Shi'u history of tomorrow, which we had for a short period of time at Kilat Jarashamayim. And it's a generation in which we find that Am Yisrael is being led by Nevi'im, by leaders, and now finds itself in a world which has no Nevu'ah anymore, has no more prophecy, and is left to fend for itself at the hands of Chachamim. And we see a very unique change that happens, a changing of the guards. But what you might perceive to be a negative change, where we go from nevuah to chokhmah, from prophecy to wisdom, from divine to human, that transition actually proved very powerful and very positive for Am Yisrael in many ways. So much so that it led our chachamim to say that a chacham adif minavi, that a chacham, a wise tamil chacham, is much better than a prophet. Why, what, how? That's what the coming shiurim that we'll be delving into are going to try to explain. Let's look together in our Kapach's Mishneh Torah on page Lamed Chet, page 38. One, two, three, four, five, six lines down from the top of the page. There should be a little letter Chavbet. Where the words right after that. So we mentioned Baruch ben We then read about Yirmiyah and his Bet Adin. Let's now read about Ezra and his Bet Adin. Ve'ezra uvedino. Ezra and his Bet Din. Kibelu mi Baruch ben They received their oral transmission from Baruch the son of Eriyah. Uvedino on his Bet Adin. Ezra, there's something unique about the Bet Adin of Ezra. Hem Hanikraim, they have a special name. Anshe Keneset Hagedona, the men of the Great Assembly. Anshe, the men of, that's Anashim in Smichut. Keneset, the Assembly. Gedona, the Great Assembly. So this Bet Adin of Ezra has its own name. We're going to discuss now. Who are the men of the Great Assembly? What is this concept of Anshaykhness Agdula? Who are these people? Rambam is going to list us a few of them. Vehem, and they include, among others, Chagai, Zechariah, Umalachi, Daniel, Vechananiah, Mishael, Vazariah, Venechemiah ben Chachadiah, Umordechai Bilshan, Uzrubavel. So they include some of the greatest personalities that we have, really essentially this is the whole era, the end of the Nevi'im. The end of the Nevi'im all find themselves in Ezra's Bet Adin of Anshei Knesset Dagdona. Tashlum And ultimately we come out to having 120 Zekenim. The last of the period of Mashiach Kness Lagdona, who Shimon Hatzadik, it is Shimon the Elder, who Hayam Miklal Hamavesrim, he is from the hundred and twenty, VeKibel Torah Shebal Peh Mikulam, and he received his oral teachings from all of them. Who Hayak Kohen Gadol Lachar Ezra, 
And he was the Kohen Gadol after Islam. So the first Chacham that comes in this period of transition between Nevi'im and Chachamim is none other than Shimon HaTzadik. And Shimon HaTzadik is going to have his own shiur, his own, uh, maybe even a few shiurim dedicated to him. But for right now, for today, for tomorrow, I wish to focus on Ezra, on Nechemiah, on this Betadin that was known as the Anshei Knesset Gedolah. Who were they? What were they? What exactly is going on in this period of Jewish history? Bezad Hashem, we're going to do this together. Let's first, before we get carried away, let's just look at a few fundamental footnotes from Harav Kapach. So look at footnote. Let's review footnote Chavbet. Just we'll review it again. Kadav Avodat HaMelech. Avodat HaMelech writes in Masechet Megillah, the quotes from Masechet Megillah, Kozeman Shebaruch Kayam, Lo Hanicho Ezra Ve'ala. What held Ezra from going up to Eretz Yisrael sooner was the fact that his rabbi, Baruch ben Eriyah, was still alive. Once Baruch ben Eriyah passes, he then is able to go to Eretz Yisrael. And he mentions, look at Midrash Shira Shirim. Okay, there are other details that we discussed already in a previous shiur. In footnote Chavdal, the 24th, so it's on the bottom right of the page. This idea that his Bet Adin are called Anshei Knesset Gedona. In Masechet Yoma, Daf Samechtet Amud Bet, on page 69b. Lama Nikra Shemam Anshei Knesset Gedona. Why were these Chachabim called the men of the Great Assembly? Shechziru Atara Aliyoshna, says the Talmud, because they restored the crown to its previous splendor. That we may be used to in a modern setting, but this phrase is hijacked by one of Israel's political parties. The idea behind it is because of the Knesset and the restoring the previous splendor. This term of returning the crown to its previous beauty is exactly what the Anshei Knesset did for Am Yisrael. Look at what the Kirat Melech writes there. And he concludes, The reason... Or from where, from that which we see that the Rambam writes that both Ezra and Malachi, he writes them separately. It's to show you that the Rambam did not accept the opinion, which is quoted in Masechet Megillah, that Ezra is none other than Malachi. You have many pieces of Talmud in which they say, Eliyahu Hupinchas. This one is that one. We've dealt with some of these previously. Now, I really should sit down and research why. What's this trend among Chachamim to try to combine personalities into one? Or to identify, there must be something going on here. That clearly our Chachamim see enough similarities between personalities that lead them to say that these two people are similar enough. They might actually be the same people. It could be that this teaching is only there to tell you that they're similar enough, not that they actually are each other. But if you are to understand the Gemara and Masech and Megillah, literally, there is a mandamar, there is an opinion among our Chachamim who says that Ezra and Malachi are the same people. And therefore when the Rambam goes out of his way to quote them separately, what is he teaching us? He's teaching us properly how to understand this is that Ezra is one person, and Malachi is a different person. The same thing the Rambam did earlier. The Rambam quotes Pinchas, and he quotes Eliyahu Hanavi. The reason to tell you that these people are not the same. In Judaism we have this dilemma today, you hear people are afraid to reject opinions in Talmud. When Chachamim have a disagreement over something, Ultimately, the job of the Chacham is to determine it to the best of their ability between the two, which is correct. The Rishonim would be astounded at the method in which we study, or maybe I'll say we don't study Talmud properly. That we have, we're frozen and accepting all kinds of opinions, which creates another story. If this one is right and that one is right, so really neither of them are right, we created a third story. That third story is not true according to anybody. It's like the mezuzah. I'm always going to go back to the mezuzah. From the Chachamim, there are those who say the mezuzah has to be vertical. Some say the mezuzah has to be horizontal. So either straight up or sideways. So along came some Chachamim and said, that you should tilt the mezuzah. Why? 
Then you fulfill both opinions. You even I have been to Chanukat Bayit of people where the rabbi gets up and gives a whole derasha about compromise and the beauty of Shlom Bayit and inside of a home. If you compromise with two opinions, that's where the truth is. And Michilat to the rabbi who taught people to put the mezuzah slanted. The halacha is the mezuzah, there's no opinion that says the mezuzah should be slanted. So when you follow that opinion, who are you really following? Nobody. The answer is nobody. So according to nobody, you fulfilled your opinion. By the way, some Ashkenazim are particular that when they tilt the mezuzah, they only do it a little bit. That way, even according to those who say the mezuzah has to be vertical, it's still kasher. It's not exactly slanted. But you go to some people's houses and you see mezuzahs like this. Min hadin, it appears to me, min hadin, according to halakha, and I know I'm not teaching halakha right now, that if someone has mezuzot in their house and those mezuzot are slanted, they should go home and take off the mezuzot, they maybe they want to get them checked, and to make a beracha and put the mezuzot back on, because the way it was previously, they did not fulfill their obligation. How much more so if we're talking about tzvaradin? ובשיר השירים רבה, אל שיר השירים, במדרש של שיר השירים, מצייז שדניאל וסיעתו וחבורתו עלו באותה שעה. לדניאל and his assembly, his group, they went up to ארץ ישראל at the same moment. כלומר, עם זרובבל, they went up with זרובבל. זרובבל, זרובבל is a personality of himself. זרובבל, which we're going to talk more about, is one of the leaders of what we refer to in history as the Shivat Zion movement. Essentially, after the king of Persia allows Am Yisrael to return home, there are Jewish leaders that begin to escort the people back home. One of them being Ezra, Daniel. Zerubavel was at the head of this movement. Zerubavel was also in a, power of a, a position of authority, of power. And the top left column, If you look at Masechet Sanhedrin, page 94b, it also talks to Hananiah. Mishael and Azariah also went up at this time period. Ayin Sham, look there in detail. Shehosif Pratim, that he adds details there, the Kiyad Melech. Ve'hi'ir, and he shows the Memash Manara Benu Nechemiah Uzrubavel, Bishnaim, that which Rabbeinu HaRambam mentions both Nehemiah and Zerubavel, who delo kedita besanhedrin. It's to show people that Nehemiah and Zerubavel are two different people. Who delo kedita besanhedrin, unlike that opinion in Sanhedrin, de Nehemiah hu Zerubavel. That there's an opinion that wishes to say the Nehemiah and Zerubabel are the same person. So in one paragraph you find that the Rambam dispels or, or at least disagrees with two different rabbinic notions. One, that uh, Ezra and Malachi are the same person. And one, the Nehemiah and Zerubabel are the same people. Let's look at Chavhei, footnote Chavhei. That which uh, the Rambam says that Shimon HaTzadik was one of the 25 men of the Great Assembly. Megillah Yud Zayin Amud Bet, the Talmud and Masechet Megillah 17b. By the way, when I finish teaching the Shi'u, I hope that you go on your Sepharia app and look up these Gemarot. Don't just let me quote them to you. Go look at them inside. That's right, 17b. Write it down. Megillah 17b. Go home and learn that Megillah. hundred and twenty elders instituted the eighteen blessings of the Amida. And in Berachot, page 33a, it says, But the men of the great assembly, they instituted the blessings. This was the Kirat Menech writing. In the first chapter, in the second Mishnah, Shimon HaTzadik Haya Mishare Anshei Kenes HaGedona. Shimon HaTzadik was from the, the end of the Anshei Kenes HaGedona. Vekatav Rabbeinu Ba'agdamato LaMishnah. And Rabbeinu HaRabam writes in his introduction to the Mishnah. V'acharon Ota Chavura, this is the Rambam writing. And the last of this Chavura HaTehora, this pure group of people, this Anshei Kenes HaGedona, who Rishon Chachamim, 
He is the end of the Anshei Knesset Gdola, but he is the first of the Chachamim. That are mentioned in the Mishnah, and his name is Shimon HaTzadik. And he was the Kohen HaGadol in his generation. Like we find in Mesechet Yomah. And we see that Shimon HaTzadik was a Kohen Gadol for 40 years. From that which we know that Shimon HaTzadik was a Kohen Gadol for 40 years, we learn one more thing about Ezra. What else do we learn about Ezra? Let's look back in the text. It says, Kohen Gadol He was the Kohen Gadol after Ezra. What do you learn from there? Let's look at Rav Kapach writes in footnote Chavav. Mashma, from here you learn, Shagam Ezra Haya Kohen Gadol. You learn that Ezra was not just a Kohen, but he was a Kohen Gadol. And if Shimon HaTzadik became the Kohen Gadol after Ezra, Rambam is telling you that Ezra himself was also the Kohen Gadol. You accept? That's how to read the Rambam. This paragraph is going to be with us now for a little bit. We're going to look through the personalities here, understand what exactly is happening here. There's a period of transition between Nevi'im and Chachamim. There's this group of Anshei Knesset HaGadolah. And we must do what we can to understand who were the Anshei Knesset HaGadolah, what were they, what were they trying to do, what did they accomplish, and what are the ramifications of the accomplishments of Anshei Knesset HaGadolah on Am Yisrael today. Together, we're going to do this. Mazal Tashem. Thank you so much. I send out a source sheet. It should be attached to your Zoom invitation that you got. You should also be able to find it in the classwork section of whichever Google Classroom you joined us from now. Yeah? I made this source sheet using Safari. And if you want the digital version of it, so you can click on the links, I'm happy. I mean, the Safari original. I'm happy to send that to you so you can follow through on your own. Let's read the first Mishnah Pagyavot. Because really this is where all this begins. The Mishnah says, Moshe kibel Torah misinai. Moshe received the Torah on Har Sinai. From who? From HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There are many answers given why he doesn't say from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Why did he say from Sinai? I mean, Moshe received the Torah at Sinai, but from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If this was a Shion Perkavot, we'd answer that question. Um Yoshua. And he passes on the oral tradition to who? To Yoshua. V'Yoshua gives it to? L'zkenim, to the elders. Uzkenim l'nvi'im. And the elders give it to the Nevi'im. By the way, I made a mistake and clearly earlier. Nevi'im is mentioned in the Mishnah Perkevot, The question there is why are Nevi'im mentioned? What I intended to tell you earlier. I told you it doesn't mention Nevi'im because they received their oral transmission as Chachamim, not as Nevi'im. So really the question is the other way. The answer is the same. The question is if they don't receive Torah as Nevi'im, then why are they mentioned as Nevi'im? And that's because they are Nevi'im, but they received their Torah as Chachamim. That's, I'm just correcting the mistake. And the Nevi'im passed off their Torah to the Anshei Kenes Gedolah. 
And here begins the first teaching that we have from the Cheikhans and And they told us three things. Who's they? Who's they? The Cheikhans told us three things. But I don't have my real Pilkavot in front of me, so it could be that the Nosach here is a little different. Maybe That you should be patient when it comes to delivering judgment. And you should raise up many students. You should have many disciples. And you should make a fence as a protection for the Torah. The first one, I think that Am Yisrael is not so careful about. To be slow, to be balanced, to think many times over before you issue a halachic ruling. We don't live in a world anymore where Chachamim are slow to justice. And you sometimes live in a world where people who are slow, slow to justice, they come up on the opposite end of the spectrum, which is what we call Inui Hadin. Sometimes people can wait for years and years and years to receive a proper answer to something. A woman can be waiting for a get for years and years and years. That Bet Hadin is guilty of Inui Hadin. Somebody's trying to convert to Judaism for years and years and years. Inui Hadin. Inui Hadin is one of the reasons why HaKadosh Baruch destroys the world. It has to be a balance between being slow to judgment and not being too slow to judgment. But the, the Mishnah mentions, if I'm there, Inui Hadin, the torturous judgment, a, a, a heart, like a, a, a judgment that is taking too long, to Ivut Hadin, to the perversion of justice. What's the difference in Inui and Ivut? Anybody have any ideas? It's the things that destroy the world. What's the difference between Inui and Ivut? Batei Din today are guilty of both of them. Don't worry. We're not going to get anybody off the hook because we translate these terms. Delay of justice and perversion of justice? Yeah, what's the difference between those two? They're both crimes. Delaying justice means that you put off a decision. It's kind of like a doctor putting off treating a patient and the patient gets sicker and the situation gets worse. Perversion of justice means that your judgment is perverted and you make a wrong decision as a result because of money, bias, uh, your own concerns, or fear of consequences. Very good. That, that's the definition. The difference, Ivut and Inui, that's exactly that. One is being too slow to judge. People are waiting for, I heard, I heard now in Israel, they just gave a get. Someone was waiting for it for seven years. And they found out, maybe now, a few years back I heard this story, but now I was reminded of it now, why I wrote it somewhere. This lady's get was waiting in the cubby of one of the clerks at the chief rabbinate office. Dated six years ago. So the get took a whole year to get. But they didn't pass it off for six years. And she's waiting and waiting and waiting. Inui hadin. Ivut hadin is something else. Ivut hadin is when judgment is perverted. It could be bribery, it could be other interests, it could be corrupt bateidin. Those two things are sometimes connected to each other. Sometimes bateidin are in violation of inui hadin. They take so long to do what's proper precisely because they are attempting to do ivut hadin. It's like the doctor, I'm not taking care of the patient now, he'll die, oh, I didn't have a chance. That doesn't exempt you from perverting your judgment. You perverted it just in a different way. You avoided it, and therefore, that became your problem. One of the Chachamim, before he used to go to the Bet Adin, he would say, the Talmud mentions, he would say, I feel like I'm going somewhere where the sword of the angel of death is raised on my neck, the Gehenam is opened underneath me, I might fall inside, and I'm not even going to make money, because Dainin don't take money. So, so why am I risking my life? There were Chachamim, they were afraid to be involved in Din, because of the liability that comes along, not doing it correctly. So, it's important to be slow to judgment, to think through things properly. I, one of my Talmudim sent me that the judges in American courts, they did a survey of some court system, and that the judges are more likely to let a person off the hook after they eat lunch than before they eat lunch. 
They compared the numbers. Now, with every statistic, there's problems. Okay, I'm not here to tell you about statistics. But they compared it to their blood glucose levels. When people eat, they're happier. They're happier. They're more willing to let things go. And the people who weren't were in a negative place. And the, a person's life was decided 20 years versus two years in prison based on how much lunch one of the judges ate. Mutunim badin. Mutunim badin. You know what mutunim badin means? That when you see a court system like the wonderful country in which we live right now, and I mean it's a wonderful country, but it has problems, and those problems need to be fixed, and not yesterday, a year ago need to be fixed. You see people standing in orange jumpsuits in line. They don't see a judge face to face on some kind of microphone, glass. They're all standing in a row like chickens, sheep. They're standing in line, they have 10 seconds with the judge. The judge decides what date they're going to come back. Yes, bail, no bail, how much money, boom, next. One of the plaintiffs get upset. They say something wrong to the judge. That's another 60 days in prison for contempt of court. Next. That's how you do judgment? In which, in which civilized society on earth could that count for judgment? It's almost like being on the, uh, in the slaughterhouses where they're shechting several animals per minute tried to do a good job of uh, following halachan in slaughtering an animal. Zev, it's exactly like that, if I might just say, and not the difference between animals and humans, the difference is that I believe that slaughtering someone is more humane than locking them in prison. At least the person who died is dead. The chicken is dead. He suffered, but he's dead. Now, this person has, you know, it's 40 years behind bars in prison. Well, 40 years looks like in a, in a, in a cage. Which is more humane? You tell me which is more humane. Some people would rather die. That's what happens. You don't live in a country in which people have freedom and justice. Rabbi Chaim David Halavi writes an entire essay on which rights does society have in the first place to take away a person's life and put them in a cage. Who gave us that right? A right for the death penalty? We have that right. A right to put someone in a rehabilitative situation? in which they could still take care of their families, they could still work, they could still go to bed. That we have a right. But to take a person out of their home, out of their family, away from their children, away from their spouse, away from their friends, to lock them in a prison cell, violate their basic human dignity and rights, who gave us that right? Not a Kadosh Baruch Nobody. Nobody. It's not a social justice issue. It's a halakha issue. It's a halakha issue. And Am Yisrael is so vocal about all these nonsensical ideas, wars people are fighting in politics. But this one, which is actually human rights, and it can happen to anybody who's listening to the shiur, nobody cares about it. Tov. That's right. Evid Kanani, we learned it from. Evid Kanani, also. Talmud. We say, raise many students. What's the value of having many students? Why not quantity, quality over quantity? What's the value in quantity? Because uh, quantity, you'll get maybe one or two quality students. Very good. Very good. And also, because you never know who's going to be person to carry on you know sometimes somebody looks so promising and they've got all the right you know backgrounds and they're all the right connections and you know you think they're the star but it turns out that someone else someone else like rises to surpass them Chachamim right that if you have a thousand who enter the Midrash for Mikra to study Chumash 500 will come out to Mishnah and 250 will come out for Talmud. And one will come out to be a Posek Halachot. So Chalmud Yosef is to say, if your yeshiva only has 500 people in it, your chances are you'll give birth at best to half a Posek. <laughs> half a Tabich out of that yeshiva. Yeah? Is it, numbers is not important. I mean, yes, quantity is important. But the way you get quantity is by invest, uh, quality, but by investing in quantity. To have enough Talmudim. Do you want survival? I'm Israel. Give everybody the opportunity to learn. And then out of those many people, you'll have Chatamichamim. And the last, Torah, make a fence for the Torah. I think oftentimes this one and the Ivut Hadin we mentioned earlier go hand in hand. Our Chachamim, 
instructed us to make a fence for the Torah, but how many fences can you make in one Torah? How many fences can you put on top of another fence? How high will the fence be before you say it's enough? That's too much of a fence. This Mishnah has to be studied properly in the light of Halakha and the development of Halakha, which we didn't come to discuss today, but it's crucial to understanding everything we're going to be discussing from here on out. Masechet Avot essentially brings us into the world that is Torah Shabal Peh. Torah Shabal Peh is all about this oral transmission. What we have now is not just what's written inside of the Torah, but it's what Chachamim, what Moshe gave to Yoshua, Yoshua the Zekenim, and so on and so forth, until Nanshekinah Sagedona, and that's when this Mishnah Perkevot begins to be written. So we are going to deal with the generation right before the generation of Perkevot. And let's maybe set the stage a little bit about some uh, historical and political background. In the year 539 BCE, the King Cyrus, who some say is the son of Esther Amalka, if I'm not mistaken, there are some legends like that. He conquers Babel, and it begins what's known in history as the Persian Age. This historical situation is what leads to the birth of the Shivat Zion movement of Jews leaving exile, leaving Galut and returning back home. The Persian government had its own reasons and its own desire to send people to live on its other borders. They were hoping for certain political uh, things to happen based on that. But for Am Yisrael what it meant was that you now had a government that for the first time in these years of Galut not only was letting Jews go home, not only wanted Jews to go home, but was willing to fund Nefesh benefesh flights. Uh, they were willing to send money to build the Ben Mikdash. You had a non-Jewish government that was funding the building of the Ben Mikdash. Tell me what else could be the Mashiach if not that? And exactly what happens? Am Yisrael begins to explore this idea of returning to Eretz Yisrael. And essentially there are waves. There are waves of Aliyah. Just like interesting enough what happens exactly in the times of the founding of the State of Israel. You should know, the Gaon of Vilna, there's a book written by one of his students, Rabbi Hillel of Shikalov. It's called Kol Hatov. And in there, the Gaon of Vilna writes that exactly what happened in this generation is what's going to happen when the Jews return to Eretz in the future. Aliyah will happen in waves. The first wave was not long after King Cyrus allowed, or Emperor Cyrus more correctly, allowed for the Jewish people to go home. And it's exactly what the Navi Zechariah prophecies when he says, if you look in Zechariah, I brought it here on page two, uh, section 214, Perek 2, Pasuk 14. Roni Zion. Shout for joy, the daughter of Zion. Because I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says HaKadosh Baruch The Jewish people are ecstatic. Am Yisrael is going home. HaKadosh Baruch is going to return his presence to Am Yisrael. But what seems to have been the beginning of our redemption is met with colossal failure. Because none of the Jews want to leave Galut to go home. The Jews like Galut. The Jews like their Stockholm Syndrome. They are at home, they have houses, they have wealth, they have friends, they have family. Why should we go to Eretz Israel? Ultimately, who goes back to Eretz Israel? The poor, the lepers, the diseased, their entire groups of Jews. I think it says about Israel's generation that the Amisah was split up into 10 types of Jews. One of them was a whole denomination of Jews that we weren't even sure if they were Jewish in the first place. So, I'm coming to dwell in your midst. The Amisah says, okay, go, we'll follow. Let somebody else make Aliyah. Well, I'll donate to the Jewish National Fund. I'll donate... I'll donate to the Yishuv Eretz Yisrael. Why would I have to give myself up for that? And this reaches a very embarrassing point if you remember what we studied in the Kuzarim. If you look, I quoted here in English. The king of Kuzar in Rabbi Yudha Levi's book Kuzari. We have a whole playlist on YouTube of those Shiurim. If this be the case, you fall short of the duty laid down in the law by not endeavoring to reach that place and making it your abode in life and death. 
So although you say, Chacham, Rachem al Tzion, Kibet Chayenu, have mercy on Tzion, which is the house of our life, and you believe the Shekhinah will return there. You bow down to the direction of Yerushalayim. But you don't go there. Amar Hechaver, the rabbi responds back to the king of Kuzal. Hovashtani melech Kuzal. You've embarrassed me, king of Kuzal. Ve'avon hazehu asher mena'anu ma'ashlamat ma'ashiyadnu bo'ha Elohim b'vayil shani. And this is exactly what said Am Yisrael behind when it came to returning to the second Ben Mikdash. HaKadosh Baruch did not restore his presence in the Ben Mikdash because of us. I'll read it in English. The divine providence was ready to restore everything as it had been at first if they had all willingly consented to return. But only a part was ready to do so, while the majority in the aristocracy remained in Bavir preferring dependence and slavery and unwilling to leave their houses and their affairs. And he says here at the end, and if we say, King of Kuzal, worship his holy hill, worship at his footstool, he who restores his glory to Zion and Tehidim. In other words, this is but as the chattering of birds. We do not realize what we say by the sentence, nor others, as you rightfully observe, O king of the Khazar, of the Khazars. Rabbi says, you're embarrassing me. You're embarrassing me because I know, Melech Khazar, that I belong in Eretz Yisrael. My people know they belong in Eretz Yisrael, but nobody wants to do anything about it. Everybody wants to stay here. And if we say, Hashem, return to Tzion, Hashem, bring us back to Tzion, we're, we're chirping like birds. We don't actually mean it, we don't intend it. This group of Lanshei Knesset Gedona step into history exactly at this point of Am Yisrael's return to Eretz Yisrael. It's a return to Eretz Yisrael, but it's one that is plagued with problems. And Sheikh Nasdaqdona are mostly an anonymous group of people. So we mentioned how many Chachamim are in that Sheikh Nasdaqdona? How many did we say? We said 120 Chachamim on Sheikh Nasdaqdona. That's where the Israeli Knesset got its idea of having 120 members of Knesset. They borrowed that term. It's a whole question. The historical truths of were they one generation, two generations, they all know each other. Was there really ever a group of 120 Chachamim that sat together? I didn't come to deal with the history of as much as what they brought to Am Yisrael. This entire group is known of some of the Nevi'im that we mentioned. And the only Chacham that we know of those who sat in the Anshei Knesset Gdola was none other than Shimon HaTzadik. And so when it comes to exploring who were the Anshei Knesset what do they do? We don't have much to go on when it comes to who are they. So the only way we can really understand who are they is by exploring exactly what they did. What are they doing? Who are these Chachamim? What did they institute? From the things, the changes, the takanot that they added to Am Yisrael, we can learn a lot about who they were what they were trying to accomplish. Because to go after their biographies and their personal life stories, we're going to have a hard time for. It's a very vague area in Jewish history. I think at this point it's important to ask a question. Go back to the Mishnah in Avot, that first Mishnah that we did. What do we say about it? The first Mishnah that we did, we have a few generations. Moshe kibel Torah Misinai. He then gave the Torah to Yehoshua. From Yehoshua, he gives the Torah to the elders, from the elders to the prophets, from the prophets to the Anshei Knesset Gedona. There is one group of Jewish people that are missing from this story. Who? Who is supposed to be teaching Torah, but is not mentioned here?
Look at the next source. The next source says in the Torah in Devarim, Vaychtov Moshe et Torah zot. Moshe writes down this Torah. Vitena el Kohanim bnei Levi hanosim et Aaron berit Adonai. And he gives the Torah to who? To the Kohanim from the family of Levi who are holding the the Aaron Kodesh, the, the of the covenant of Hashem. And he gives it to the elders of Israel. The Kohanim are the spiritual leaders of Am Yisrael. They don't just kill animals in the Mishkan. Their job is to lead Am Yisrael in the Torah level. Look in Devarim 33. What's the job of the Kohanim? Yoru mishpatecha li Yaakov v'toratecha li Yisrael yasimu ketorah be'apecha v'chalil al mizbachecha The job of the Kohanim is to teach the laws of HaKadosh Baruch to the house of Yaakov. To teach it to the house of Israel. They also have a job of sacrificing incense and all kinds of things like that. But their primary purpose as Kwanim, Yoru Mishpatecha Yaakov. That's their job. So where are they in Prakavot? Why are they not mentioned in Prakavot? Where are the Kohanim? Look at the Mishneh Torah. The Rambam writes the following words. Now normally the Rambam, when he's ending a book of, of Halakha, sometimes he leaves us off with a little bit of Agadah. The debate surrounding these two chapters of Rambam is very relevant to the debate in Israel about yeshiva students serving in the Israeli military or not. Whether these words were intended as halakha, whether they intended only as agada, I didn't come to stick my head in that conversation today, but just know that much of it rests on the interpretation of the Rambam here. Why were the Leviim not given any land in Eretz Israel? Or why were they not able to get the booty of war, all the treasures, whatever they got in wartime, with their brothers? What's the reason why Levi'im don't have land? Mipanesh, yeah? No? We didn't kill, who did we kill? We didn't kill anybody, yes, Levi'im. What about Levi'im and the, and the golden calf? Something else, okay. Oh, Shimon and Levi, and they killed Shechem. Al-Khanan is asking about Parashat, uh, we dealt with Shimon and Levi, when they killed Shechem. Remember that? They went to kill the whole village over there. And says, maybe because of that, the Levim didn't get any land in Eretz Israel. But Shimon gets land in Eretz Israel, so why did we not get it? Oh, that's a good question. That was a good answer, Al-Khanan. But we see from Shimon that he wasn't punished, so Levi wouldn't be punished either. What's the answer? Because Am Israel has an element of it known as the Leviim, which were separated from the rest of the people to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the job of the Leviim, and by default the Kohanim, to teach the Torah to the public. Like it says in Devarim, They should teach your Torah to Yaakov. And therefore the Kohanim, the Leviim, are separated from the ways of the world. The Leviim and the Kohanim do not go to war like the rest of the Jewish people go to war. They didn't inherit land. They win nothing by means of their physical ability. Why? Because their whole purpose is to serve Am Yisrael in a spiritual fashion. They are the warriors of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem should bless His soldiers. Or really His substance. Hashem says in Bamidbar, I am your portion, Levim. You need, you don't need anything. Food you don't need. Houses you don't need. I will take care of you. And really, Am Yisrael, donates to the Bet Migdash, to the Kohanim, to the Levi'im, in order to sustain them, so that the Kohanim and Levi'im can in return teach Torah to Am Yisrael. This was the perfect system of Am Yisrael. 
that there's a whole tribe that is dedicated to traveling throughout the Jewish people, building yeshivot, building Batei Midrash, being rabbis of Batei Knesset, sitting on Batei Din, so much so that if you look throughout the Torah, it will tell you. And you should go up to the Levi that's in your times to ask him a question, why the Levi? Because this was the job of the tribe of Levi. But the Rambam continues to the next halakha, and he says, Velo shevet levi bilvad. I'm now in halakha 13.13. You see this? And not only the tribe of Levi, ela kol ish ve'ish, every man, every human, mikol ba'e ha'olam, from any place in the world, Jew, non-Jew, man, woman, that his spirit has moved him. That his intellect moved him to devote himself to the service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to know Hashem. And he walks straight the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created him. And he's thrown off of his neck all of the things that people run after. Money, fame, wealth, whatever they run after. He decides, I'm devoting my life to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This person becomes the Holy of Holies. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu will be his portion forever and ever. And he will give him in this world. He will give him in this world whatever he needs, just like he gave to the Kohanim Leviim. David writes, Hashem is my allotted portion. He holds what I have. Everybody can become a Levi. Everybody can become a Kohen. Any human being on earth who decides to follow HaKadosh Baruch Hu and teach Torah, to learn Torah, to give Torah to the world, it's not about studying in a kolel. It's about learning Torah to give to the world, to Am Yisrael, to give to humanity. This, and not to worry about anything other people want. This dedication to HaKadosh Baruch Hu automatically makes one fall into the category of a Levi. So what happened to the Leviim? What happened to the Kohanim? Why are they not mentioned here? Look in Malachi, chapter 2, verse 7. So skip the next two psukim. Malachi tells us, Ki siftei kohen yishmeru da'at, v'torah yivakashu mepihu. The lips of the Kohen will guard knowledge and people will seek Torah from his mouth. Because he is an angel, a messenger of Hashem. Our Chachamim write in the Talmud that only if a Chacham, only if the Kohen's lips, Yishmeru Dat, they guard knowledge. Only if they are like the angel of Hashem can you learn Torah from a Tamil Chacham. You don't learn Torah from a crooked Tamil Chacham. You learn Torah from somebody who you believe is a good person. And then says Malachi to the Kohanim, Ve'atem, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about the Kohanim, min haderech, you've turned away from the proper path. Hichshaltem rabim Torah. you've caused many people to stumble through your rulings of the Torah. Shichatem berit halevi, you've corrupted the covenant of the Leviim. Amar Adonai Tzavot, says Hashem, the Master of Legions. You see that in the generation of Malachi, Malachi, who's in the Anshekhanes HaGedonah, he's criticizing who? The Kohanim, the house of Levi. You corrupted your job. You're not doing your job properly. Anshekhanes HaGedonah are essentially leading a revolution. And that revolution is against who? That revolution is against the Kohanim. You find that whenever Jewish leadership is corrupt, like the Kohanim were corrupt in this generation, Am Yisrael gets together and follows someone else. The Kohanim are long, long, no longer in power. 
Anshay Knesset Hagdonah are appointed in their place to lead Am Yisrael in a path of holiness. What does the Ramam call them? Chavura HaTehora, this pure group of people. They were so pure, that they replaced even the Kohanim. Maybe now it begins to make sense for us why the leader of the Anshay Knesset Hagdonah was none other than Ezra. Ezra, we told you that Ezra served in which capacity? What was he? Which tribe did he belong to? Ezra was the tribe of Levi. Which office did he serve in? What job did he have? Aside from the head of the Chekhan Zagdona? He was the Kohen Gadon. But how do we refer to him? We refer to him as Ezra? Hasofer. Ezra the scribe, Ezra the Chacham. Why not Ezra the Kohen? His main job. Ezra is leading a revolution against even his own family. Ezra is a Kohen, yes. A Kohen Gadol, yes. But he's showing that my primary purpose as a Kohen is to be a Tamil Chacham. It's to lead Am Yisrael properly, faithfully. And do you know who's going to lead together with me? It's not going to be other Kohanim. It's not going to be other Levim. It's going to be whoever wishes to join the war. Whoever wishes to lead this revolution with me. To teach Torah to Am Yisrael faithfully. That's who's going to give Torah to the next generation. Ezra shifts the focus. It's not about which family you were born to. It's not about which tribe you're a part of. It's about what you're committing yourself to do in life. Anybody who commits himself to join Ezra HaSofer's revolution has now shifted to the new world of Judaism. A world that is guided by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. A world that has replaced the Kohanim and the Levi'im. That's exactly why the Mishnah and Perkei Avot, written by our Chachamim, they skipped this entire generation. Kohanim and Levi'im forfeited their place in the divine transmission of the oral law from Moshe Rabbeinu until Am Yisrael. Tomorrow, I wish to begin with you a conversation surrounding now we know why the Anshayi Haqdolam became who they became. We know what the motivation was. We know why Israel was leading them. We know that they were coming back to Eretz Israel with a broken Jewish people. We also know that the Anshayi created reforms in Am Yisrael. They changed things in Am Yisrael. They were changing leadership. So of course, they're also going to change certain approaches to Halakha. Tomorrow, B'zad Hashem, I wish to focus our shiur exactly on why and what. What did the Anshei Knesset do? Which takanot did they bring? The Judaism that the Anshei Knesset instituted is exactly the Judaism that we ourselves live today. And if you look at the first teaching that we'll have tomorrow, B'zad Hashem, it's going to be this conversation about why is a Chacham Adif Minavi? Why did our rabbis reach a conclusion that a prophet, uh, that a chacham is better than a prophet? What do chachamim have that prophets don't have? Bezad Hashem, we're going to do all of that tomorrow. God willing.